God a shout of praise. Woo. I don't know if you came ready for church this morning, but hey, we're ready. Hey, I want to I, I tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here at Overcome Church this morning. Welcome to church. It's good to have you here. It's good to see you. Hey, if you enjoy being here as much as I do, why don't you take 15 seconds and just give somebody else a high five, handshake, or a hug. Just let them know you're glad to be here in the house of the Lord with them. Amen. Wow, what an opportunity this is to be in the house of the Lord together. Wow. give God another shout of praise. He's worthy. Somebody say he's worthy. Somebody say he's worthy. Lord, we can just stop right there, but I don't think I want to. I don't think I want to. Anybody come to hear the word of God today? Me too. Let's see. Today we're starting a new series. If you haven't watched the app or the, uh, the um, what am I trying to say, the website, uh, we are starting a new series today called The Name. Somebody say The Name. We're going to talk about the name of God. Uh, I think it's going to be a three-week series, but we'll see what the Holy Spirit says. Amen. Who knows? It may, it may turn out to be something else. Who knows? Hey, if you brought your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 4. I'm so excited for this series today. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, and, and as we read this, do your best, like I want you to read with me, but do your best to focus on what your body feels as you read these words. Do your best to focus on your natural reaction to these words. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after this I looked and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven. And someone was seated on the throne. And the one seated there had the appearance of a jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on those thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes. And with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder came from the throne. And seven fiery torches were burning before the throne which uh, are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was, um, <clears throat> was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. And the first living creature was like a lion and the second living creature was like an ox. And the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings. And, and they were covered with eyes all around and inside. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, my 
the writer add, uh, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, our, lo- our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. Thank you for the opportunity that we have now to look into your word and to seek your face, God, and to uh, request from you wisdom, Lord. Speak to us, Lord, over every person here. I pray that you would give us open hearts and open eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, your word as it's spoken. Father, give me utterance to speak boldly from your word as I ought to. And Lord, I pray today that you would shake the ground of some people in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would do something magnificent in a way that only you can do, God. I pray your blessing as we go forward into this message, Lord. Just have your will in your way and above all else, God, to you be the glory in Jesus' name name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it's a joy to start another sermon series. Anybody enjoy the last sermon series we had? Dear church, I enjoyed it. It was a good one. I think this one's better. I think this one's going to be better. I'm just partial to, uh, to my God. But the new sermon series, the name of the sermon series is The Name. <laughs> and Reading through scripture and thinking through the pinnacle of the Godhead. Like thinking through, all right, what's the name that will, when you um, think of God, what's the name that um, kind of casts the net over all of it? And so I figured uh, the very first name that is mentioned in the Bible depicting the Lord or depicting God himself is Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. Today I want to talk about Yahweh. Uh, The divine name of Yahweh has increasingly been regarded as too sacred to be uttered by the Jewish culture. They won't say this name because it's too sacred. It was thus replaced vocally in the synagogue um, by the Hebrew word Adonai, or my Lord, which was translated as Kairos, or Lord, in the Septuagint, which is the, uh, the Greek. Yahweh means self-existing God, or the Lord. We know the word of God says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was God. And that's all we know. And we can't even comprehend that. The name Yahweh, declaring self-existing God and the Lord, is monumental. The Bible declares the sovereignty and the glory of Yahweh through all 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Throughout the entire uh, compilation of these documents here, uh, the Bible just declares the glory of our creator, some God that has created all things and in uh, all things he reigns, or over all things he reigns, and he um, uh, resides, and he like uh, he is in control of, and manipulates, and moves, and plans, and works, and does things, and, and we can't comprehend that completely most times. And what I want to talk about today is that name that kind of depicts who that guy is, the self-existing God, Yahweh. This name is a name that demands reverence, right? The name Yahweh identifies the creator of the universe that takes orders from no one. The one who created the heavens and the earth in six days and propped his feet on the seventh. The one who with his fingertips can carve out vast mountain ranges and valleys and at the same time design and create the entire vascular system that is inside of each and every one of us today. Something so complex that it takes the wisdom of a tenured professor to uh, teach you 
even just parts of your anatomy. The one so holy that the only natural response to being in his presence is to just fall on your knees and worship him. If you read in the word of God, anytime somebody came, even before, like anytime an angel of the Lord came before somebody, the only natural response, because we are his created beings, the only natural response that can take place is even his adversaries will bow. I think the word of God does say every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether you like it or not, that Jesus is Lord now and forever. Amen? It's not because he made you bow. It's because that's all your body naturally knows to do in the presence of him, Yahweh. The heavens declare the glory of our God. Here in a day or so, I'll get to see this lunar eclipse. I'm staying up for it. Bro, this is going to be something else. It's going to be something else. Like, it's going to be so magnificent to see this. Like, I don't, I don't stay outside and just see things all the time. So it's great when I get the opportunity to. I get to watch something just huge and massive and just think, whole, like, wow, I cannot believe this. The fact that, um, like, I think of this every time we get a big storm as well. When, when you hear thunder, you hear lightning, you, uh, it's loud, it's chaos. Um, and sometimes I think of this, as I hear the thunder, I remember where Moses was on the mountain and the Israelites down below said that they recognized when the Lord was speaking because his voice sounded as peals of lightning and roars of thunder. And I, you know, when a storm hits, I hear the thunder and I can't help but to just think like, I know the one who speaks and it sounds like thunder. I know that, that person, his name is Yahweh, he is my creator, he is my God. He's honorable and he is worthy to be praised. He is Yahweh. Remember I asked you to focus on uh, the words written in Revelation chapter 4. What do you feel? This is your turn. You feel kind of anxious a little bit? Maybe nervous at the sight? It's easier for us to disregard maybe those feelings because we're not literally right there yet. Um, I can remember being challenged to truly just focus on those words and just alone with the word of God read those words slowly and, and really be intentional about comprehending, or comprehending what the word of God is saying. And when I did, I had no choice but to just sit in silence and with a respectful fear of the Lord, just stand in awe of who God is. Like, did you hear what it was saying as it described the throne room there? It described uh, this this throne and one seated on the throne and from this throne how ironic comes peals of lightning and roars of thunder right and before the throne by the way he mentioned that the throne looked as if like a a sardius stone or something of that nature and before the throne was this vast sea of glass it looked like and and around the throne was this rainbow it looked like emerald do you hear the terminology that he's using like when when you study this you have to notice that John's simply just trying his best to describe heavenly things with what he knows and it's so incomprehensible like he cannot wrap his head around what he is seeing and literally at the end of the whole explanation there all he can say is wow he is holy this god is holy and i like with a resounding uh, sound of worship just accompany the angels that by the way are doing this right now as we speak as i'm on this stage and as you're sitting where you are these beings that we spoke about are literally right now doing nothing but declaring the holiness of our god and and you see john how he just uh, he agrees to just join in holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was 
and is and is to come. Man, when I read Revelation chapter 4, I can't help but to just stand there in fear and awe of the fact that there's this holy and just and righteous God. The Bible says his train, the train of his robe fills the temple. In other words, he's, um, he, he, uh, he, he fills the temple. He exists uh, to the entirety of the temple there. And um, you know, as I read that, and as I begin to think through the name Yahweh, the name of God, which is considered to be so holy that they don't even utter it in the Jewish culture, I thought about the fear of the Lord that we should have. A respectful fear of the Lord. I think our culture swiftly negates that. I think our culture is like moving so fast away from the idea that God is somebody to be reverenced. We've lost touch with the, uh, the concept of God being both Lord of our lives, but Savior as well. You see the contrast there, and, and, and they should be balanced in the life of someone who follows the Lord. He is Lord. He's creator of the universe, high and mighty and lifted up. He is worthy of our praise. He, his presence demands, just physically, without, your, uh, without you saying it's okay or not, just demands our worship. And if we won't, rocks will begin to cry out, the Bible says, in worship to him. That's his essence. That's, his, that's just the natural response from creation to creator. But our culture is either one way all the way over here full of liberty or one way all the way over here full of legalism. And those two sides, they fight back and forth. And, and some of us, we've been in between those fights and we just go, like we don't know which way to go. And, and what I want to say, church, is instead of just fighting and bouncing like ping pong in between these two sides, liberty, legalism, liberty, legalism. The Bible says a lot about both. Liberty, legalism. Quit listening to what everybody else is saying. Pick this thing up for yourself and realize that there should be a healthy balance in the midst of your walk with God as it regards to the liberty that is given to the believer through Christ and what he's done on the cross, accompanied by the Lord and his holy, holy demand of our life and full devotion and attention. When a believer gets into the word of God and recognizes that, those two things tend to meet and rest in the word of God. We need a healthy fear of the Lord. I think about the fear of your mother. And I'm not too scared of mom anymore. She can't catch me. But there once was a day when she could say things like, boy, I brought you into this world. Any of y'all moms ever said that? I'm calling the cops. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nowadays you can't say stuff like that. You mess around. Find yourself in jail. Can't say that stuff anymore. I brought you into this world. Who can finish it? I think we've lost the fact that with a, with a simple utterance, the creator of the universe, the one who says, let there be light, and boom, light happens. The one who creates planets and and. and uh, conglomerations of galaxies and stars, the one who just says, let there be, and there is. We have lost touch of the fact that he can, with an utterance, just eliminate you. As harsh as it sounds, it's true. He's God. He's Yahweh. He's holy. He is our Lord. And accompanied with that reverence that we give the Lord should be the acknowledgement that in his love that surpasses all understanding, Christ came so that you may be saved and so that you may live a life of liberty and freedom. These two very powerful ends of the spectrum come together and you meet here on the word of God with a healthy fear of the Lord and a reverence of God 
the blessing of being able to live in liberty, knowing that his love for you is greater and grace goes so much farther than your sin can ever take you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says this, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Have we forgotten about hell? It's not a hot topic. It's not, it's like we're not, we're not going to read about hell a lot on Instagram, are we? Unfortunately, for, what, for whatever reason, people that were never meant to go will find themselves there. Because they chose to not believe in the one and only Son of God Himself who paid the price for the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, and the sin of the whole world. It is a gift freely given. We talked on Wednesday to the students about the fact that um, in Romans chapter 7, I think it is, seven or 6 or 7, <clears throat> 6, I think. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. In Romans chapter 7, Paul writes, and he's talking about um, the new covenant, the law. You got the law, the Levitical law, uh, and... Yeah, it's established. It's been established. But the transition that takes place when you step into the new covenant through the Holy Spirit believing on Jesus, through you believing on Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power that comes inside of you, this transition that makes, and it was a new concept back then. We preach about it a lot, but it was new back then. And Paul uh, likens it to a marriage. Um. This is the design, one man, one woman for life, and till death do you part, right? That's the design. But the reason for the statement, till death do you part, in the Bible, Paul begins to depict that if a woman should lose her husband to death, then she is freed from that bond and now should go find her a new husband. It's God's design. It's not good for us to walk this world alone. But if a woman in the midst of this bond seeks out another man, well, that's adultery, right? And to her sin. And I'm not preaching this message today, but what I'm saying is this. This is what he related it to. The old covenant and the new covenant and the transition that happens between. And I taught this to the students is the fact that there is nothing that you do in the midst of changing in that bond. He related, um, he took the, the illustration of like a woman's husband dying. Now she is freed from that bond. We are bound by the law of sin and death, Paul says. Right? The wages of sin is, some preachers in here, the wages of sin is, we don't hear that a whole bunch, but that's the wages of sin, right? And being bound to that, because of our sin, we're stuck. The wages of our sin is death, and that's what we deserve. But there's more. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus, right? And then I begin to think through, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. Did you catch that? Like, it's nothing that we do in any of this. There's no Christian checklist that you can check your boxes every day and become good enough to receive this, like, um, this seal on your heart, oh, he's, he belongs to the Lord type thing. No, Jesus has done every bit of the legwork. It's your opportunity now and privilege just to believe and trust in that legwork being done and finished on the cross. It is by grace through faith that you are saved, right? That statement, by grace through faith, denotes that Jesus has already accomplished everything that must take place in order for you to be saved. He said one thing, 
you got to have faith in it. You got to believe it. I was teaching that to the students, and uh, I kind of ventured off on the concept that we're talking about today, Lord, the Lord being so holy, but also our Savior. He is our Lord and our Savior, and you can't you can't just look at Jesus as your Lord because if you do, you live this, you begin to uh, form this legalistic theology within yourself that is unbiblical and it, it begins to uh, cause you to start pointing everybody else's stuff out. And I don't know if you know this, but that's not our job and it's not my job. We're not uh, called to point out each other's, now holding each other accountable is one thing, but you know, we can get in the weeds with that, we won't. But then also, you cannot just live in this life of frolicly, uh, frolicking liberty, you know, where everything is okay and, and deliberate sin and, and um, uh, uh, malice and all these things that the Bible lists. Oh, it just runs rapidly and freely through your life. You cannot live a life like that. It's, the, it's when we bring it to the center where uh, we have this reverence for the holiness of Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. When we live for, uh, with this reverence uh, of the holiness of Yahweh, and we bring also the fact that we have placed our trust in Jesus, therefore gained liberty through his blood payment on the cross for our sin. Now we live a life that we reverence and live our life for God. Our time, attention, and resources go to God's purpose for our life. But man, when we mess up, ain't it good that we're covered by the blood? Ain't it good that there is grace and that there is mercy and his mercies are new every single morning. And so Lord and Savior equals law and liberty and you can't have too much of either of those. You must center on the Bible. Back to the reverence of the holy God that we serve here. I want you to pull up this first picture, if you will, Rob. Look at this. Earth is a fraction of the size of Saturn and smaller than Jupiter's big hurricane. You ever seen like the picture of Jupiter? You see the big old hurricane or whatever's going on there? Whatever that is, earth is smaller than even that red dot. King David had no way of knowing this, but he marveled that the God who furnished the solar system had any idea who he even was. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. It says this, when I look at your heavens, O God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? There are some of us in that place this morning as we realize uh, the reverence that we should give to our Holy Father, our Holy God. What is man that you would even see me? What is a man that you would even be mindful of me? Think about the blessings that you see in your life. Even right now, I know there's hard times, I know there's struggles, but think of what God has done in your life. Think of the good that is in your life and think, man, what, who am I? This holy God, who in the world am I even that he would even notice me? Maybe we're not there yet. Look at the other picture, the second picture. Jupiter, however is only one thousandth of the size of the sun. God speaks these things into existence. It's wild. If the earth were the size of a pea, Jupiter would be the size of a grapefruit, and the sun would be a giant beach ball, capable of holding 1.3 million earths inside it, and weighing about 99.8% of the entire solar system. Or, wait, 1.3 million Earths inside it and weighing 99.8% of the entire solar system. Um, every second, the sun loses 6 million tons of its mass because it's like gas and it's, that's the science behind it. I don't understand it. <laughs> Equivalent to 1 million African bull elephants. Those must be heavy. Yet it doesn't even make a dent. Every day that happens. Third picture, please. But the sun is not even a very big star at all compared to um, Arcturus. Arcturus. These names. It is tiny. Which at this scale means that Jupiter is just one pixel on the screen. 
and the earth cannot even be seen at all. The Bible says, to whom then will you compare me? This is the Lord speaking. That I should be like him. Let me know. Who you want me to be? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. In other words, God knows the very number of stars that we can look up and see. When we're looking at that lunar eclipse, take note. Can you count the stars? He can. Arcturus is the reminder that we need in a man-exalting and God-denying generation that God is very big and humans are very, very small. Who are we that God would even be mindful of us? Who are we? Next picture. I know it looks like I messed up, but I did. Do you see what's happening? Does anybody know where that picture is? Oh, you don't. Wow. No, not that picture, the other picture. The one that looks black. I'm over here talking about it. Now, do you, anybody know what that is? Come on, this guy. Okay, you do. Okay. Let me, let me share. Somebody say it's the North Star. Uh, okay, let me share with you what this picture is. I know it looks like I messed up. Can you even see anything on there? There's like three lines there. Can you see it? It's all black, but then you see like three lines. You see a red one, a green one in the middle, and then an orange one over there is kind of red too. Do you see anything else though? Huh? The little dot there. That little bitty, the little bitty dot right there in that beam of light. By the way, those are beams of light. Let me tell you about the what's known as the pale blue dot. This is a photograph of planet Earth taken on February 14, 1990 by the Voyager 1 space probe from a record distance of about 6 billion kilometers or 3.7 billion miles. This was their last effort to take a picture back home before Voyager 1 would exceed the range that they thought it was capable of. And so right before they thought they would never see Voyager 1 or anything from it ever again, they turned it around and snapped a picture of Earth. <laughs> it's wild to me. Voyager 1, about 6 billion kilometers, almost 4 billion miles away, and approximately 32 degrees above the elliptic plane, when it captured this portrait of our world, caught in the center of a scattered light ray, a result of the picture being taken uh, so close to the sun. Earth appears as a tiny point of light, a crescent, only 0.12 of a pixel in size. This is what Carl Sagan wrote about the pale blue dot in 1994. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives right there. The aggregate of joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and voyager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every kind and, or every king and every peasant, and every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, Every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, and every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived 
there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Wow. Yahweh is the creator of the heavens so vast in their existence. Somehow he is so wildly in love with the likes of you and me. We are so insignificantly significant that it's unimaginable. You cannot even comprehend how tiny we are in the span of God's creation. Yet for whatever reason, read Psalm chapter 8 verse 3 and 4 with me again. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. Now with that view, picture the cross. The Bible says Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Our God is both Lord and Savior. His name, uh, the name of God and who he is demands my soul to worship him because he alone is worthy. Somebody say he is worthy. Somebody say he is worthy. He is holy, 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 and he doesn't need us, but he wants us to declare that today. He doesn't need us to declare how holy he is. He created us to and wants us to, yet for whatever reason, how holy he is, he has gone through great leaps leaps and bounds just to establish a relationship with the likes of you. The vast expanse of his glory, for whatever reason, he has went through Hell to establish a relationship with you. Out of all people, suspended in the midst of all of creation, so minute in the, in the scheme and in the blueprint of the plans, when you lay out the blueprint of God's creation, which, by the way, he only obtains that, only him, but um, when you lay out the blueprint of what God has spoken and formed into existence, we are so small of a speck on the great, uh, vast you know, plan of it all, and yet, for whatever reason, we are the ones that he chose to make in the image of him. We are the ones, for whatever reason, created to show the glory in all of creation. Like we have stars, we have planets. NASA said something about a black hole. I don't know. Uh, I know you saw it on your feed. Uh, Like there's all this wild stuff you can research about space and what we think we know and what we think we've seen. You can look it up. You can read it all. You can be, uh, you know, bewildered by it all. But for whatever reason, in the grand scheme of everything, like think of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. For whatever reason, God counted you to be the one worthy of, 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 Bearing his image. Let us make man in our image. You were the one for whatever reason out of all of creation to be the billboard for the glory of God and the personification of who Jesus is through you and in you. Man. Wow. If that doesn't make you want to just give God glory and praise him, I don't know what will. God is worthy to be praised. He is both Lord and Savior. So Isaiah writes in chapter 1, verse 18. Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Who are we? Who are we that the Lord would seek out a relationship with us? Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be made white. As snow, though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. God desires a relationship with you, and you don't even deserve it. 
Your sin separates you from the holy God that he is. But because of the immense love that he has for you and I, he has made a way through the blood of Jesus serving as the sacrificial payment for the sin of the world once and for all. We didn't even deserve that transaction to take place, but it did. And all that's left for you to do is to come and to settle it with God by putting your trust and faith in what Jesus has done on the cross for you and taking your trust and faith off what you think you can do for yourself. We live in a culture that is so bent on being in control of everything. We want control of everything. And it's to different degrees. Some of us just want control in our house. Other people in the world want control over a city. Other people in the world want control over a nation. Other people in the world want control over the world. And all these efforts to obtain that control, God laughs at us and thinks, who are you? Who do you think that you are? Psalm chapter 2 says, the kings of the earth set themselves there. And the Lord has them in derision. In other words, God looks at their efforts to be mighty and in control of things. And thanks, dude, <laughs> you have no clue. Am I right? Jeez, who are we? That's the glory of it all, though, right? Who are we? We're so small, yet so significant to the heart of the Father. We'll talk about that later, trust me. Like later in the series, we're not going to stay here all day. Everybody's like, oh, he said we're going to talk about more. You know? <laughs> I got lunch plans. What are you talking about? No. It's okay. Bear with me. Come let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. God desires a relationship with you even when you don't even deserve it. Put your trust in what Jesus has already done for you. And take your trust off of what you think you can do for yourself. Look at Exodus chapter 20. I want to help you out with this. And if Jimmy can help me here in a second. As, as you're turning to Exodus chapter 20. Let's try and look and see what it says. I don't know. You want to carry it? Okay. I'm scared. Don't trip. Oh. If we trip, it's your fault, Jimmy. Whew. Okay. I didn't work out today. This is it right here. Oh, jeez. Messy, dirty. Um, the heavenly woman that cleans this place all the time is right now cursing me as we speak. But it's okay. I'm that preacher that messes up the band's equipment and makes messes in the floors. They'll get me back. Never lay bricks before ever. Oh, Jimmy, you came with just the right amount. Appreciate you, bro. I don't want to make that mess. Okay. Jeez. Whose idea was this? Okay. Some of y'all were like, well, I know what I'd have done. I'd have had that set up before I even started. I'm not you. So <laughs> the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, Verse 25 says, if you make a stone altar for me. In other words, when you, if you, he says if, if you're going to bring an offering to me, do not build it out of cut stones. If you use your chisel on it, you'll defile it. Okay, who's going to help me out? We're not lifting anything, don't worry. 
need a man. Give me a manly man. I need. Come on, somebody. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Y'all give it up for Paul Diamond. Okay. Manly man. Well, I'm glad I don't mess with these things anymore. So, he says, if you build a stone altar, don't put your chisel to it, because if you put your chisel to it, you're just going to mess it up. I wonder why that is. Because he's so holy. And like when you see the depiction of heaven in the throne room in Revelation chapter 4, you see like what's, what sounds like ornate design. You think, about, or you think about the way your brain and your body is uh, like originally designed. The way your arms move and the way you're able to walk and talk and communicate. Express emotion. Can anybody explain emotion? Me neither. The way God gave us that, right? The way he has designed us. You think about that and you think, man, God is a God who likes the nice things. You would think. But what if his statement here was for us to receive the, the instruction uh, that... I'll put it to you like this. A lot of us do this. I should have brought a mirror. Look in a mirror. Paul, you'll be my mirror. Look in a mirror. I'm seeing myself here. I got my, I got my, he's going to really be my mirror. Check this out. <laughs> I look at myself and I'm like, man, I don't like, I don't like what you look like. I don't like what you look like. And they don't like what you look like. And I'm not talking about you, Paul. I'm talking about me. <laughs> Does anybody ever do this? Like insecurities and anxiety and the whole nine yards? Like, dude, you suck right now. I don't like you. And you begin to do this. You're like, okay, ow. Maybe I'll try again next week a little more because that hurt. Or you'd be like, in the mirror, it's like, okay, maybe that lemon will make me look better. Or, oh yeah, maybe, maybe going to that place as opposed to that place will give me the appearance that I fit into that social uh, group that I want to fit into or we go like this. We do all this work and we're sitting here just so focused on what we look like and we're sitting here trying to shape ourselves and we want that control and we're, you know, giving it everything we got to make ourselves look well and the whole time we haven't seen even the half of us. We've done nothing but mess us up. You get the picture? I can't even reach back there. I can't even... I'm missing. You can't, it's hard. What if that statement, if you make a stone altar for me, or if you bring an offering to me, don't build it out of cut stones. If you use your chisel on it, you're only going to defile it. What if it means this, that instead of coming to God, did up the way you think God wants you to look. If you come to God stacked up nice and pretty and fixed up however you think God wants you to look, regardless if it's right or not, what if what he really wants is just the real you, the raw, uncut material? I come from a construction background, and I know just as good as any of you that, I mean, it doesn't take much common sense to know, you cannot build a house with Lego pieces, although some may try. It won't stand. You need raw materials. You need raw materials to build a house. What if God is saying in this, When you bring yourself to me, come like who you really are. Because I don't want what you think I want. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I want you exactly like you are. My God, that's messed up. I don't look like them. I don't sound like them. 
I don't smell like them. I don't, I don't have those privileges. Or maybe, God, they'll make fun of me because I have too much privilege. Or any accusation we can place on ourselves. Why, God? Why would you want that? Stand right there, Paul. So I can do the work in you that I want to do in your life. Surrender your life to me, and I will make your life great. I will make you who I want you to be. I will change you and mold you and shape you and chisel you to be the man of God that I want you to be. Anything that you can do will only mess yourself up, but if you would let me do the work on you, then I will make you great and I will make you a child of Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the one that speaks planets into existence. God is saying, if you bring yourself before me, don't come to me looking like what, I, what you think you want me to see. I want the real you. I want the bold you. I want the cussing you, the smoking you, the one that don't have it all figured out. I don't want this done up pretty little version of you that you think is appealing to me. No, I want the raw material. I want broken stones. Any broken people in this room today? Any broken people in this room today? I want the broken stones. Bring an offering to me made with broken stones. Don't come at me thinking you got it figured out. I know you don't got it figured out. Come at me like you really are. Because when you come at me like you really are, I can mold you. I can shape you. I can make you exactly who I want you to be. That's what submitting to the Lord is. That's what saying to the Lord, hey, God, just do with me what you want. Take my life. Use me, God. It doesn't look like take my life, use me, and then get in the mirror and start trying to make yourself look better. There's nothing you can do, no Christian checklist that you can do. check off every single day to make yourself look better before the Lord. The Bible says even your righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what a filthy rag is good for? Nothing. You can't clean a lick of nothing with a filthy rag. But what you can do is give your life to the Lord and he'll begin to work on you and shape you and make you as white as snow. Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, though you be stained up like a filthy rag, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as crimson red stain, they will be made like wool. Stay right there, Paul. I'm not done. We uh, had the opportunity, the blessing to go hang out. By the way, if any of you ever want to invite the Kaisers to come hang out with you, we would love to. But we had the opportunity to go hang out with the Krulicks. And... Um, you know, child care was taken care of, baby. That's what I'm talking about. It was like a double date. It was great. Uh, any of you want to take care of my children, you can do that too. <laughs> Background check. You had to run through, you had to run through Jimmy. Nah, we went and did dinner and come back. And Natalie um, didn't want to leave. She had fun. And um she didn't want to leave, and we got to go. It's like 10 o'clock at this moment, and Natalie needs to go to bed so Mommy and Daddy can have our time before bed and just enjoy each other's presence for half a second because everything's always running wild. And so what does a father do when it's time to go? You just take the initiative, and I'm not going to pick you up, but you take Natalie, and you pick her butt up so she can't run around anymore because if you've seen Natalie, she's a boom, just a bullet just goes. I mean, she, if you give her half a second, she's out of sight. Anybody seen Natalie? Oh, I thought I seen her running. Yeah, she's on the field. She's playing on the piano down there or whatever. You know, who knows? Natalie is just gone. She could care less about me. And so I pick Natalie up, right? And I'm holding Natalie, and she's squirming. She's like, let me down, let me down, let me down. You know how they do? You just about get a toe in the ear, and you're like, she's like, let me down. I'm holding her, and... All I have, I'm not hurting her. I'm just like, I'm holding her and I have a firm grip so she does not, one, hurt me, or two, hurt herself. I'm I'm holding her and, Brooke, wherever you are, she's downstairs. Brooke! (laughs) Uh, I'm sure she did. (laughs) She knows we're talking about her. She's my witness. She saw it happen. 
I was holding Natalie. And she said, let me down. You're hurting me. And without a moment's notice, I just like, just spouted at the mouth. I said, I'm not hurting you, baby. I'm holding you. And I just wonder if you've been working so hard to try and make yourself up to be somebody that you think God wants you to be. But you're hearing today that God just wants to reel you who you are. He doesn't want to keep you like that, but he wants you that way so he can change you to who he wants you to be. And I wonder in here if God's been doing that in your life and he's got a hold of you and you're like, let me go, God. I want that. I want to go back to my sin. I want to go back to that place. I want to go back to that website. I want to pick that back up. I don't want to do this anymore. This hurts. And I wonder if God's saying, I'm not hurting you. I just want better for you. I'm holding you. I'm holding you from that sin. But God, it hurts when you do this. I'm holding you from that place. But God, they won't like me anymore. I'm holding you from that website. But God, I can't find it anywhere else. I'm not hurting you. I'm just holding you. I know what's best for you. I created the planets. But I love you so much that I made you to be the actual image of me. And I know what's best for you. I know the number of hairs that are on your head. I'm not hurting you. I'm just holding you. And when you realize... That when God is moving in your life and it looks like negativity, with a change in perspective, it could look more like um, productivity. Wow. Thank you, Paul. I think in this room, there may be some people that need to realize that who you've been trying to make yourself out to be before this Yahweh, this creator of heaven and earth, that could he put you in this world and he'll take you out. He's the same exact God that would just rather see you as a, 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 a broken stone and watch you just come before him as that broken stone so that he can do the work on you. That he wants to do. Jesus said, and I'll finish with this. Man, you can come. Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. His blood is the way to the Father. He closed that chasm that sin creates between us and the Father through his blood payment on the cross. He's the truth of every promise and every declaration In every word written in this Bible, he is the life that is so worth living if you would just trust in his plan for your life as opposed to your own plan. Amen. It's hard to do. We want the the control. We think we know we like our sin better than what God can bless us with. I'll tell you, I've experienced it a couple times in my life, and every time it's been the same. Every time I lay something down before the throne and just give something to God, and he takes it, and I mean it, and I just give him the the ability to just do with me what you want in that area of my life, Lord. He takes it, and it's far better than it ever could have been if I'd have just stayed in sin. I know it sounds like a cliche. I know a lot of preachers say that, but I mean it. There has never been a better decision that I had made in my life than to give my life to the one and only creator of the universe. Because when I did that, he took the chisel and hammer out of my hand and began to do work himself. And now through the grace of God, I'm somebody I thought I'd never be. And I'm not trying to fluff myself up. I just have my own testimony. I can't tell you yours for you. I've been transformed to be who God, you know, and God's still working on me and I got a lot to learn and I don't have it all figured out. But at some point in my life, I just came to him as raw material. 
and ever since then, he has begun his plans for me. And in the middle of those plans, what the enemy has meant for evil, God messed around, turned that junk rod around for good. I wonder how many people in here need to throw off the facades and throw off the masks and throw off the I got it togethers. You need to just come before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need as a piece of just raw material. God, use me, shape me, make me who you want me to be. I want to pray for you and then I want to give you an opportunity to do that to come before the throne of grace. We do that by coming to the altar here. We call this an altar. Really, it's you coming before the Lord and becoming the altar. That's why there's no actual piece of furniture up here. You're the altar. You come down here. You choose for yourself. Surrender. Here you go. I'm done. Done trying to make myself somebody that I'm not. Take me, God. Use me. You know what's significant about everything we've said in creation? Everything that is in existence in the grand scheme of everything was spoken into existence except for one thing. Even the animals were spoken into existence. But one thing was not. It was man. And still to this day, you remember when God tells Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Even to this day, God is forming his image bearers. I'm not saying you're the most special thing in the world, and I'm not trying to isolate Jesus from the Bible and put you in the Bible, but what I am trying to say is this. You're more than just dust. You are made to bear the image of God. Quit trying to take control of that and hand the control over to God and see what he'll do in your life.